podcast i'm derek joined by kyle as we come to you a little bit after sixers practice a little bit before their second preseason game their first home preseason game of the season how you doing kyle i'm hanging in there a couple quick like kind of somber notes i think i wanted to pay respect to brendan malone mike malone's father a longtime nba ncaa coach who was announced passed away today obviously you know all the best to Mike Malone's family, thinking of him right now. And I did see also shortly before we came on that I don't know how familiar you are with hockey media, Derek, that Barry Melrose, longtime ESPN hockey guy, is stepping away because of Parkinson's. And I can say personally, even as someone who has like focused on basketball over the years and stepped away from hockey, that Barry Melrose is somebody who is like what sports media should be about to me. Someone who has like a ton of fun doing what he does, still has a great professional approach to what he does. And so obviously shout out to Barry Melrose. Hope him and his family are are doing well. Yep, for sure. So as I mentioned, we just came from Sixers practice. Not too much in terms of groundbreaking stuff, but it was our first practice availability, not at training camp. So, you know, at least we got that going for us. Um, I guess the sort of highlights of it, Embiid and Harden both fully practiced. So did DeAnthony Melton. Uh, Furkan Korkmaz with a leg strain is still not practicing. It's unlikely he will play uh, in Wednesday's preseason game. But Nick Nurse did say that there's a good chance he will be able to go yeah. for Monday. Uh, and then they have a, what they have a game Wednesday, Monday. And by the and way, we did have a commenter on yesterday's stream who was mad that we forgot to mention Furk in terms of not being available. To be clear. Don't say we. That was you who forgot him. <laughs> well, you didn't bring his name up either. So all I'm saying is, yes, I was aware that Ferk was not healthy, not playing. He's just not quite as he's not of, quite he's not as noteworthy starter, as in beating yeah. Harden. You know, yeah. sorry. We're just being realistic here. Yeah, but but yeah. So Ferk is the one that I guess has the more serious. They haven't even really characterized what the problem is, right? I think they it's, just called it a leg strain. Yeah, so yeah. dealing with a strain right now, it's not very serious. Could be back next Monday for the big Ben Simmons preseason bowl. You obviously. know how he strained his leg, right? Jumping around complaining because he's asked out so many times and hasn't gotten his wish. I thought you were going to say participating in a dunk contest while wearing a Darth <laughs> Vader costume, no, but that's a that deep cut good. for yeah. anybody who was back yeah. then. So. Like we said, Embiid and Harden did practice full participants, uh, including, you know, scrimmages. Nick Nurse still doesn't know whether or not they will play in tomorrow's game. He said he will have a um, better update after shoot-around tomorrow, which we've spent and the players have spent a lot of this preseason and training camp talking about ways that Nick Nurse is different than Doc Rivers, but this seems like it's one way that Nick Nurse is similar to Doc Rivers. You will probably not get real injury updates until you see them on or off the court. I mean, and any more, too. We get fewer real updates from teams mm-hmm. just by default, especially with how they're changing the get injury reporting rules. 0.5% edge if you can make the other team not sure. And I don't know why you need an edge in preseason. Nobody actually gives a darn, but you got to get that edge. By the way, I want to just shout out a few people in the comments. We have Joe, who says it's his first time making it live. Thank you very much for spending some time with us today, Joe. Jacob says soundtrack to his drive home. We also have Squirtle saying that Ferk is channeling his inner Harden trade tactics, which, look, if, if Ferk was as good as Harden is at, at getting traded, no. I think he'd be out of here by now. Ferk is the most polite trade request you'll oh, ever he's, see. And he's, yep. I will say this about Ferk. I, I don't know if he's going to have any kind of role on this team, but super nice guy and is a good, like, has made these requests and then comes back and is just the good soldier. So I guess this sort of brings up a good point because you were pointing out before the show that some people were looking at like the Clippers inactive list and speculating whether or not that could be a harbinger of a trade. Calm down. People don't play in the preseason because people don't care about the preseason. 
and they're more worried about their health than they are getting reps on the court. Furkan, or Kyle Newbeck is a liar. That is a, as Alex said in the chat. I was going to say Furk that. at the was... club with a sign that, that Newbeck is a liar. I support that. I don't know if it's directly applicable to Furk, but it is true. That is absolutely not true. <laughs> but, um, you know, like I said, don't read too much into whether people are playing or not. It's preseason. That's it. It's not a trade. Yeah, so honestly, I would say the big, the one big thing, if we're saying this happened at practice today and it's worth talking about, it's that James Harden is full go right now. And whether that actually means he's going to play is a different story. We're in this weird gray area where nobody wants to come out and say, well, there's no reason for him to not play. Like Nick has not said it. Daryl is certainly not going to come out and say it and neither as teammates, but now at this point, it's like if he can do everything and he's in these scrimmages and he's doing this and that, then what's to stop him from playing? Right. Even if it's just you know limited minutes, first half, it is the preseason, but he should be out there if there are no physical limitations that he has right now. Yeah, and look, I would just like for him to play just so we don't have to sit here and wonder whether or not he'll ever play. And so he has to right. talk to us at some that would point be nice we can if get we could this talk out to of the him. way. We haven't had a chance to talk to him yet. Uh, yeah, it would be great just to get him on the floor just so we can... Because it feels like... All right, he, he reported. It almost feels like turning of the page, at least with the next you know, chapter in this trade, trade saga. But it's, we haven't really moved on until he actually steps foot on the basketball floor. And I think a lot of people wonder, well, will he? Uh, will he come up with an injury so that you know that, that 30-day clock to report by that we've talked about in terms of the Sixers being able to prevent him from being a free agent? Um it seems like that might have reset, but is he actually a member of the team? We just don't truly know yet. He's he's practicing uh, from what we can see. And again, we see very little of practice, but from what we can see, he's on the floor. He's participating. He's engaged. Will he play in a game? I think so, probably, but we don't know so. Well, and so I would say we get pushback from fans sometimes when the media comes out and says things like, oh, we haven't talked to so-and-so in so long. And I can understand that to a degree. I think the media members in general could stop whining about player availability in terms of access in the locker room, so on and so forth. It's not as important as we make it out to be. In this particular situation, though, James Harden not having said anything, and all of us are essentially piecing this story together by talking to people with the team, people around Harden, so on and so forth. And telling an incomplete story that needs Harden's words and his feelings beyond the, you know, the theatrics in public right. with the I sign th- and all that. That's a that's to me, that's the most important piece left that's out there. Right. I think sometimes people will be like, Oh, well, you want him to talk so you can have clips to go viral on blah blah blah. No, we we would like for him to address the fans in his own words. A ch- like we will take that that answer, put it with all the context and just put it out there for the world to see, especially for a guy who doesn't necessarily like to talk, who isn't going to make official statements outside of an Adidas camp in China, who isn't really going to go on the record with his thoughts. I think the fans would like to know where he stands. <laughs> Jonathan asks, has anyone tried to get little baby <laughs> to mediate? So just get a little baby and Ruben in a room and knock this out. Un- I was going to say, actually, unfortunately, Jonathan, I am not, I don't have a personal relationship with little baby. I do have some of his songs on, playlists I don't on think, Apple I don't Music. Think you so I don't through Apple Music. I don't Yes, think but I do think that makes me closer to Lil Baby by default okay. than like 90% of the Sixers beat. I'm not saying that means anything. How do you know? You don't know. Oh, you have a lot of Lil okay. Baby on your on your playlist, no. Bonner? It doesn't seem seem like your thing. So yeah, that's that's the final piece of the puzzle here beyond playing is and look, I get it. We have comments essentially saying they would like James Harden to go away and for the problem to be gone and I get it. I, we've talked a lot about it would be a, a refresher, a clear the decks sort of move, and almost like a karmic lift to get Harden out of here. It's like, all right, new team, new season. There are some good vibes that I think have been bubbling up because of all the Doc Rivers slander, Nick Nurse being here, so on and so forth. Right. And yet you get Harden out of town, then they, you really add to that. But <laughs> I still think, end of the day, if they actually want to win – he sadly is probably their best shot this year. It really is. In terms of picking up the vibes around the team, the only thing that's really worked in months has been Doc Rivers slander. It's like disappointed oh. Sixers fans, you know, Sixers players, the one thing they have in common is Doc Rivers slander. Uh, and that has been 
chum for the masses, but uh, yeah, no, it would. Well, so for anybody who missed it today, who's at work and or at school and trying to and be doesn't a have all of us on notifications. I mean, what are you even doing? <laughs> trying with to be your a life? responsible person instead of following the Sixers, which I totally understand. Paul Reed was getting asked about it's a pretty broad question about shooting in games and you know adjusting to the new reality under Nick Nurse and the the partial quote, which is not the full quote, is Paul said. Last season, if I was taking threes, I probably wouldn't play for like 10 games. This year, they want me to shoot the ball more. And look, even if, I don't think Paul is intending that to be like, hey, screw Doc Rivers, because I think he did get a decent opportunity under Doc at the end of the year. Yeah. But he did want him to play a hyper-specific way that, as we both know, having watched Paul and as everybody at home watching and listening knows Paul likes to freelance a little bit. So I think the constraints that doc put on him weren't loved, but he does get credit for embracing that role and saying, I'm going to do what it takes to get in this coach's good graces. Now I will say, you know, I think that quote, you know, where he mentioned that, uh, you know, if he took a three last year, he thought he'd be benched for 10 games. Yeah. I think that's relevant because it shows how differently the two coaching staffs view players and player freedom. I'm going to say, and this probably isn't a popular opinion, I'm not sure Doc was completely wrong in that. I'm not sure I want Paul Reed shooting <laughs> four threes in a, in a game. So it depends on what your objective is, right? If no. you are just trying to win games in the short term, I agree with you. If you are trying to turn Paul Reed into a playoff level, we can use him all the time guy. Sure. You have to let him well, take some more Well, specifically threes. if you want to turn him into a player who can play next to Joel Embiid. Because I yes. think he could be a, a backup center and never have to expand his range. Sure. There is a part of me that if you give him too much freedom, he might run with it. And there's a difference between playing free and playing, um, you know, taking bad shots and wasting possessions. And Paul, one of the knocks against him in the past is that he would try to do too much and freelance too much. So I hope that Nick sort of finds that balance where, yes, you can empower your players, maybe grow an aspect of their game, but not let him develop bad habits that would also come into play in the playoffs. And it's, you know, on the one hand, I'm like, yes, put him at the four next to Embiid, see if it works in the regular season, yada, yada, yada. But it is a tough balancing act to do that without also then letting him sort of like build those habits that I don't necessarily want to see in the playoffs. Yeah, so I, I you say all that and I would say this. I think Doc was probably the right type of coach to have around him early on where they had to really figure out what is right. this guy. Obviously, at the college level, creating lots of steals, blocks, or events, as some people like to say. But he, we had no idea what this guy's going to turn into, right? He had a wonky-looking shot. He's not... Still has a wonky-looking yeah, shot, by the way. He's not a... He doesn't have prototype size. He's a good not great or elite yep. athlete right so i think making sure paul had this base of you're going to be a pick and roll guy rim runner on offense you're going to protect the rim and rebound on defense i think that made sense like that's how you handle it and now is the time under nick nurse or even if doc was still here to let him expand and say you have the freedom yep. to fail somewhere i think it's more that it couldn't, it was too strict or actually I should correct myself. The problem is that they're playing Montrez Harrell instead of <laughs> right. Paul Reed. That was my biggest problem was always it, DeAndre it was, Jordan and Montrez Harrell. It's yes. not that they were saying to Paul Reed, hey, you need to learn this role and learn it well. The problem is that they were playing an objectively worse player with no upside yep. into the future nope. instead of Paul. When Paul joined, I think he needed to be reined in a little bit. I think yeah, he needed absolutely. a little bit of structure. I, I give, I, again, this isn't going to be popular. I give Doc credit for giving him that. My biggest problem with Doc, and he blew up at me a couple times for it, is what in the hell are you doing playing DeAndre Jordan, Montrez Harold? They're done. Precisely. Um, yeah. So that that's that's the thing. It's like there is a middle ground. I think everyone wants to say from the outside looking in, including us sometimes, like you loved Isaiah Joe, and it was sure. like, hey, he should he'll be a starter by next year and things like that. And you couldn't have just left it at I loved no, Isaiah No, 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 but I'm saying yeah. you get credit for you were more in on Isaiah Joe. Sure. And when you have that sort of belief, it's like, well, just play him all the time. While those guys do benefit at times from being pulled back and having to compete for their spot on the roster, in the rotation, all that stuff. And it's there's a little bit of, you know, psychological babble with that. Mm -hmm. But I do think there is something to making these guys fight for their spot 
over just like, hey, Paul, go out there and play 18 minutes every single night and just do whatever you want. And Randy in chat saying he just needs to draw some attention in the corner. He being Paul Reed. 100%. I agree with that. Like I, it, it, There are threes that are good and threes that are not. A kick-out corner three, take that, Paul. A above-the-break three or a top-of-the-key three with 17 left on the shot clock? No, I'm going to criticize him for that. It's one thing to have freedom, It's it's it, but with freedom comes responsibility that you have to still take good shots. This is Biggie has one of the best analogies we've seen in the chat. He says, being under nurse is like heading off to college to experiment for the first time away from your overbearing parents named Doc. Yeah. That's a, I love that analogy, and so... I don't know. Is Nick Nurse like doing mushrooms for the first Not, time or smoking weed or like what? I don't know what the the line is there or where we're going to. No, I remember back when I <laughs> left for college in 1947, my dad actually said he wished I partied a <laughs> little you, more. Did you walk uphill in the snow yes. both ways to get there? My too? dad actually said, like, I wish you partied a little more in high school so you were prepared. This is Paul's party phase. I didn't have sure. that problem. <laughs> <laughs> that does not surprise Maybe me at all. That's why I went to a state school or <laughs> All right, anyway, let's take a quick break to talk about some of our friends, and we'll get right back to it. The DraftKings Sportsbook is the first one, and the NFL season going strong. 5-0 and birds, baby, and DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking new customers up with an offer that's even stronger than that 5-0 and Eagles team. Bet 5 bucks on any game this week to score $200 instantly in bonus bets. DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of a sweetener offer every game day, this October, get in on the game day greatness. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code PHLY. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets when you bet five on the NFL. That's code PHLY only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boothill Casino and Resort in Kansas, licensee partner Golden Nugget in Lake Charles, Louisiana, 21 plus age rise by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsibility. Responsible gaming resources. Wow, 168 hours after issuance. What a specific time frame that is, by the way. Now we've got people in chat giving you grief for your edibles. Would Kyle have been able to nail that disclaimer if he was on edibles? Come, Come on, on, guys. Now. I'm sharper than an Give edible guy. I, actually, honestly, honesty hour, you would know if I was under the influence because I do not hide it well. I would say that. I bet you I go the opposite way. I get very like cautious <laughs> that I'm going to do or say something stupid. So I get quieter when I've had a drink or quieter when I've done anything else. We'll just say anything else. Uh, I get very quiet, <laughs> oddly quiet. One other thing before we, uh, before we get going here, I want to point out that we have a Phillies tailgate event tomorrow from 1.30 to 3.30 at the, Jet- at the Jetro lot. Um, again, this is for, there's, uh, if you're a diehard, go check it out. If not, go to allphilly.com or allphly.com. There's an event section. Uh, all kinds of, you know, included in, in the price are all kinds of food from Cavs catering, from pasta to filet sandwiches, Boneless grilled chicken sandwiches, hot dogs, hamburgers, everything you can find. Uh, go check it out. I will try to stop down there. Um, that will be before our game. Again, the time's 1.30 to 4.30. Uh, Parking will, and driving is going to be an be absolute a, a disaster challenge. tomorrow. Um, but we have a game. We have to be there. I will try to be there towards the second half of that Phillies event tomorrow. So come down, uh, you know, say hi. Um, obviously, Jamie and Renee will be there. Like I said, I'll try to be there in the second half. Uh, come check it out. It'll be fun. Sounds good. Yeah, I mean, also a, some, some, a filet sandwich sounds absolutely oh, delicious. Just man. reading that food menu, like I could, I could definitely get into that. I could definitely get into that. Uh, we got a right. b- bunch of questions already, though. So this keeps coming up. Is there any smoke behind the Clips not playing Morris Powell, Boston Junior tonight? I know that that's been a common combination that people are expecting yeah. in trades, potential trades for Harden. But as Derek said a little bit earlier. I would put absolutely zero stock into any preseason absences until the end of time. If basically, like, I get it. If this was a regular season, meaningful game, night, absolutely, yes. yes. But in the preseason, it's just you know, don't don't put any stock into basically anything unless it's Jaden Springer. Right. And in that I was case, say, how dare bye, you? Bye, 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 bye. How dare you discredit Jaden Springer's <laughs> career moment? Come on now, Kyle. 
Uh, no, I, I we actually I speaking of stocks, we are I, later this week. We're going to debut a Uh-oh. new segment, Uh-oh. I think, with we're going to have some props in here. I might make Bodner put on a, oh, a special hat. You know, that's so that's called a tease. You might see that on Thursday, I believe. And then by Friday, Kyle might have been thrown out the window. So I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, we'll see. We'll see. All right. We're so, on the seventh floor here. Like that would, you know, I don't think I'd make it. <laughs> So I think the next next thing we wanted to get to, Derek, was today the yearly NBA.com executive survey yep. release. That's always I don't want to butcher his name, John, John Schumann. Schumann. Yep. Okay, I wanted to make sure it was Schumann, but I wasn't hundred percent sure on that. So John Schumann does a great job covering the league for NBA.com, always surveys all the NBA general managers on a ton of different topics and Let's just talk about the broad strokes. So I think the favorites are the Celtics and Nuggets currently yep. among the executives. The Sixers were fourth in Eastern Conference Fourth in rankings. the East behind Fine. Boston, Milwaukee, Cleveland in that order. Yep. I think half of the GMs polled had them in the top four. Yeah. So Cleveland is the interesting one yep. there. I think you and I talked a little bit before the show, Derek. They're only real additions. And I'd say only it was Max Struess and George Niang. I do think they were about three wins behind the Sixers last season. I do think having passable two, three-ish play from Struess is really important for them because their only real wing last year was Okoro, who nobody guards Mm -hmm. at all. No, they had had all guards and and centers. And I I think they're probably baking in a couple fewer wins for the Sixers because of so much uncertainty, which we'll get to in a second. Yeah, so I I can – I would say generally speaking, I can buy Cleveland passing them in the regular season. We'll see whether they're a playoff team after mm-hmm. losing to the Knicks in embarrassing fashion last year. And by playoff team, you mean a team that can succeed Who in the playoffs. Who can win in the yeah, playoffs, yeah. yeah. Uh, Tyrese Maxey appeared in the player most likely to have a breakout season. He was tied for fourth with Paolo Bancaro behind... Anthony Edwards at number one, who I think he's already kind of broken out. Yeah, but. well, and that's kind of the case with Maxi too. Like, he just yeah. dropped 20 and four last year. Yeah. So, it's actually, good segue there. I think breakout for Maxi at this point as a 20-point-per-game guy is just he's an all-star. Like, yeah. that's really the only next level he can get to in terms of the public consciousness. Mm-hmm. Certainly, his stats can go up. He might score 25 points a game instead of 20 if Harden doesn't play and he's – the clear cut number two next to Joel Embiid. But yeah, it's weird to say it's a breakout, but I do think if he's the lead guard compared to an off guard and he is the full-time starter running the offense, scoring 25 points a game, I do think people will look at it differently, even if the numbers are even shockingly similar. Yeah. To last I feel year. like, I feel like the preseason breakout player rankings are a little bit like the coaching rankings where like coach of the year, where you would say right now, like Mike Malone is a hands-on favorite to win coach of the year because of what he did last what year. What he it, already it, did. Right. It feels like the, the award is almost delayed by a year. Um, and this, in, in this instance, breakout player, I don't necessarily think that's how it, the voting is going to be at the end of the year. Like coach of the year, I actually think that's the way people vote. But I think by the end of the year, they will actually focus on a players who broke out this year. But when you're picking the most likely, you kind of pick the ones who have already made a jump and might have another jump left in them. Well, it's always the the most improved player is one of the dumbest awards in all sports because a it's already it's a guy who is very good and just got more playing time and yeah I so that'll probably be a whole show one day is whether like, we think Tyrese can yeah. make an All Star team this yeah. year but that yeah. was that was one of the notables uh, to your point there were some coaching questions mm-hmm. uh, one that you flagged Derek which new or relocated head coach will make the biggest impact on yeah. his new team. Number one with a bullet was Ime Udoka in Houston. 57% of executives polled thinks he'll have the That's biggest impact. That's wild. But even wilder to me, not a single vote for Nick not Nurse, which you can read that a few different ways, right? You could say, one, maybe there are just other candidates on more up-and-coming teams that can make a bigger impact. Two, there are people that like Doc Rivers at the executive level, which based on the amount of jobs he's gotten in quick succession, there's some of that. Or three, people are just skeptical that Nick is going to be able to do much with this group. Yeah, I feel like all of these vote the results, and again, the winner was from Houston, and the second place um, was from Detroit. Now, third place is Frank Vogel in Phoenix, which I thought that was interesting. But it feels like a lot of the, the results are based on, like, 
regular season win improvement. And the Sixers probably aren't going to do that. If Nick In Nurse, fact, it's probably more likely right. that they win less. If games. Nick Nurse is a a significant coaching improvement, where you'll see that is they win game six in the second round. It's like winning one game where it really matters. And I feel like that's just not going to get the votes in, especially in this kind of survey. But it surprised me a little bit because I feel like Nick Nurse is pretty well regarded around the league. I feel like there was a lot of talk. Like you go back to when we, uh, it wasn't me and you at that point. It was, it was me and Rich. But like Nick Nurse was at the top of the list of coaching candidates that that we would have pursued. Oh, for this certainly job. would have been at, the, yeah. near, at or near the top of and my I think list. When as well. when that hiring happened, I think a lot of people around the league said, "Oh, that's a, that's a really good hire." So for him to get, I didn't expect him to win this because, like I said, I think a lot of the attention is going to go to the young teams who are going to win a lot more games than they previously did. Yeah. I'm surprised he didn't get a single vote. And I'm not surprised by Ime winning because what he's about is essentially what everyone believes the Houston, Houston guys need. need. Yeah. They need. They need defensive culture. They need a no-nonsense, kind of knock-their-heads-around type of guy. That's And honestly, that's why a lot of people thought he was great for Boston because, you know, they have the young, very confident stars, and they needed to be reined in a little bit. He, and he publicly clashed with Boston them. Yeah, until, took him to the finals yeah. until he acted like a very irresponsible person off the court. So I understand why he's number one. I, I am a little surprised that, Darko, the new Raptors coach, got yeah. votes and that Nick did not. And so then I guess the other, the big one, which is the title of the show. I, w- I will say Nick Nurse, um, he was tied for third with two votes for the best in-game adjuster. Yeah. So Pete, they generally recognize his coaching acumen. Yep. It's just he's not in the impact category. So the title of the show, and this is what Derek and I wanted to get into today, was that the Sixers are essentially the chaos team this year. They were voted number one toughest to predict team. Behind them are the Mavericks and Thunder tied for second at 13%. The Sixers have 30% of the vote. And there's no way to read it other than this is a direct product of James James Harden. Harden. And so we totally understand that. I do think if we connect it to Maxi a little bit, we could say... There's an unpredictability there in terms of what does he do with this new opportunity? Can he get to 25 points a game? Is he a good enough playmaker? But I feel like that's sort of like standard level uncertainty with the, with for the sure. It's it's definitely different than the Harden just not showing yeah. up madness or Harden getting traded and then it becomes you're flipping over the whole roster and all that. So. I mean, just think of what you just said. Like, we are legitimately not sure if James Harden will play a single game for him this year. He could end up playing, uh, this is the next segment, the entire night. year, or he could play zero, and we truthfully don't know. I probably know which way I'm leaning, and again, that's sort of like the next segment, but we truthfully don't know which way that's all going to turn out. So I, I, I'm a little surprised that only 10 of the 30 GMs picked the Sixers. Well, and then add on top of that, Joel's health concerns always. Like, if he gets hurt, then they become – I mean, that's true of any team, but he's of the front line, top five, top ten stars. He's got the most checkered history with regards right. to health issues and injuries. So that's probably baked in a little bit. And if you want to look at the good side of the unpredictable, there is the Nick Nurse factor. Yep. Like, they're unpredictable in the sense that – He's going to throw goofy shit at the wall and see if it Although, works. Again, by these same GM's standards, he's not going to make much difference. Yeah, wow. It was honestly just really surprising. Really <laughs> surprising. I don't want to harp on that. Listen, trying to draw logic from some of these executive polls is always fairly difficult. They, a lot of these votes are given just trying to look smarter than right. maybe they actually... I'm not firing any shots, but maybe then they are in, in practice. So actually, Noted I saw Messiah hater. the... <laughs> The whiny Miami media mentioned that so Eric Spolstra got seventy three percent of the best head coach votes, and I would say probably generally accepted at this point that he's the best coach in the yeah. NBA, right? Especially after the repeated playoff runs they've been on in I mean, recent look, years. But the, so Heat media were complaining, well, he's only gotten X amount of votes for Coach of the Year over the last decade it's like bro your team's gonna have to win more than like 43 games in the regular season if you want to get consideration for coach of the year like i'm sorry i get it he's an awesome coach all year round and the talent is what it is and jimmy butler is load managing and whatever but (laughs) your team's got to win regular season games you want to win coach of the year look to your point about 
Spo being the best coach. When your team regularly outperforms our ex- expectations in the playoffs, one of other two things are happening. Either you're doing a great job coaching or our analysis is wrong. And our analysis is never wrong. So he never. has to be doing a bang up <laughs> job in the playoffs. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we have someone who said they were a bar. They're a bartender. Ime came into their bar. We and need he's a all very intense Not guy. just on Ime, but every other coach you've ever. I was going to say, if you want to shoot us a DM or an email. Slide right into those. Yep. 20% tipper. All right. I think that's. Well, actually, so that's a good question for our bartenders and people who work in the service industry. Is 20% like the actually the that's like, good standard anymore? Because I feel like people are now like, you got to go higher based on I feel inflation like that's the, and, you're not an asshole standard like as long as the bartender was good and the person ordering is fair then that's like the low bar okay yeah because I think growing up it was like 15 ish right. was probably the standard and then 20 was a good tip yep. and now it's like 20 at least as far as I can tell is the baseline and it goes from there I gotta tell you as somebody who's traveled to a bunch of different foreign countries where tipping doesn't exist that's one of the things that people who are not from the States roast Americans for the hardest. Just like the whole idea behind tipping culture. It's well, like, but the difference is why like not you just make enough money? Bartenders actually get paid. That's what I'm saying yeah. is they're, they're fascinated by the idea of, well, why don't they just get paid enough to anyway, that's, we're not the tipping podcast, right, but it's just not. something that I have run into in the past. That I always find it. Tip your servers and bartenders. That's I am. I am Ime and above is what I would say with my tipping. I, I respect anybody who works in the service industry a great deal. Uh, anyway, let's talk about our friends at the Game Time app. We'll give you a tip. Use Game Time. There that, that's, there's a pro tip for you. The be- best tip I ever got was don't take any wooden nickels. My grandmother <laughs> used to say that. So anyway, so the Game Time app is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for good reason. Got a lot of sporting events coming up. Tomorrow, it's a Philly sports doubleheader. I don't know why you would go to a Sixers preseason game against the Celtics team playing three games in four nights rather than a Phillies playoff game. But those tickets will be considerably cheaper. And if you want to find the best seats for the best price, I know that you can find them through the Game Time app. It's the place for last-minute ticket deals. You don't have to plan months in advance. Deals on tickets right up to the day of the event exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. And the game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. As I say, every time I bring that up, I think that's absolutely awesome. So snag the tickets without the stress with game time, download the game time app, create an account, use code PHLY for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code PHLY for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. So, do we have any more thoughts on the uncertainty? Around the six or the polling from yeah. NBA executive poll? No, I mean, look, it just kind of is what it is. And it's probably a good segue into the next thing we wanted to talk about, which was Brian Windhorst on Sunday. Well, a, cu- a couple quick other notes okay, on, on all right. things. No, sorry, I thought no, I had no, a... No, I just want to... Right. Uh, Embiid didn't get any votes for best interior defender. Again, not that I necessarily think he should have because I think that's an area where he's fallen down in the last couple of years, but noteworthy. In terms of best center in the NBA, Embiid had one vote, along Anthony Davis also had one and vote. And by the way, Daryl Morey cannot vote for his own player, so that one vote came from... I actually wonder if that was from Calvin Booth in Denver. Right. Some or guy, if, or yeah. if he was the Anthony Davis guy. Some guy called Jokic got 28. Because uh, actually, you know what? Daryl had to be the Anthony Davis vote because there's no you way can't, he can't vote for you, Jokic. You can't submit as Joel Embiid's GM a vote for Nikola no, Jokic because if, if that if, ever comes back. To, I wonder if Daryl or if, if Embiid wanted to like see his ballot, like just see what he voted for. Yeah. Um, no, that, that, and again, going back to the, I actually don't have it up. Do you have the results from last year? Because I know they no, listed that in the th- article. Come on, man. I'm not prepared with results from <laughs> last year. But I think year. it was something like Jokic maybe had like 40% of the votes last year. So for him to have 28 out of 30, it's what happens when you have a great playoff run. Joe, the And what happens when somebody turn. else doesn't yep. have a great playoff run. Uh, so I thought that was noteworthy as well. Uh, Embiid also had a single vote for MVP. Jokic led the way with 13 votes. And Embiid had a single vote for if you would start a franchise today, who would you select? Uh, and again, that was 10 for Jokic, 7 for Wemby, and 4 for Giannis. 
So those kind of things tend to have a uh, you know a lean towards the younger players, which makes uh, you know it explains why Wemby had more than Giannis. Not sure I'd go there, but uh, I understand the reasoning for it. But Jokic having ten there, it's just uh, okay. I guess because I stay on my toes, I did find last year's voting. Best center split last year was 79% Jokic, okay. 17 Embiid, 3% Giannis. So okay. it's not that big of a difference, but there is a you know a notable shift toward essentially tipping the, the hat to Jokic, and he's the undisputed yep. top dog there ahead of anyone else. And look, I think you and I probably both agree when you go out and have the playoff run he did and win a title, he absolutely right. has earned that at this point. Right. And I mean, especially when he just came off of two consecutive MVP seasons, like he has proven in the regular season, he's proven in the playoffs, his style of play meshes with everyone on the floor. It's a, it's not, I don't think, I I think even Philly fans are accepting of that fact now. Yeah. I've seen a bunch of questions. If Andrew, our producer could save some of these for our final segment after this, we will revisit some of these as we get to the end. So anyway, before Derek ignored my segue and said, we got to stay on this topic. Brian Windhorst on Sunday prior to the Sixers-Celtics game to open the preseason had a, a bit of a, a segment on the Sixers along with Kendrick Perkins. I believe we also have a graphic for what he said about James. And ultimately, his conclusion was that they're going to be best off together. So, right. And he, he even says it in the quote. He says that, like, I don't know if they're we at have that the place quote now. Right in front All of us. right, guys, read it. Read it. So here's the quote. Honestly, I think they're both going to come to the understanding they're better off with each other. I'm not saying we're not going to have more drama before they come to that conclusion. But James Harden's best chance to win is with Joel Embiid. His best chance to get paid, at least right now, is by Daryl Morey. And I think that last part is a really important thing to bring up. We can debate whether. If he gets traded to the Clippers, whether James is going to have a better chance to win with Kawhi Mm -hmm. and PG than with Joel in the East. But the Daryl is the most likely person to pay him part. It's super fascinating, given that we're at this point that James has called him a liar in public and has not walked it back. We have not heard from him since that happened, essentially, and in any meaningful way has not walked away from that stance. And yet it still seems... I mean, the sign at the party wasn't Daryl Morey as a truth teller. Oh, yeah, like that. so that's a, yeah. That's also... There have been some denials that Harden was involved with that yeah. at all from uh, people around James. So that I don't... I can't speak to the, the veracity of that. But I do think that's super interesting that after all of this, there is still belief amongst people. And look, I trust Wendy a great deal yeah. when it comes to insider knowledge and things around the league and so for Wendy to say it looks like Daryl might be one of the people or maybe the guy to give James his best payday or biggest payday in the future can you imagine a scenario where everybody gets together they next offseason he gets like a three-year <laughs> he gets him a million three-year dollar. monster contract like that would break my brain from where we're sitting right no, now I mean like in terms of logic I don't think Wendy is completely off base here. I and I, I'm pretty sure I like agree. one of our first podcasts or shows, because it's, it's also on video. I think one of our first shows, we said, like, is he burning a bridge with maybe, maybe, maybe the Clippers are the team that will most likely to give him a big contract. But I think the Sixers might be like second in terms of teams most willing to give him a big contract. And is, is he foolishly burning a bridge? Well, I don't think he's actually burning a bridge because I think Daryl Morey is mostly a robot. And if he has a chance to bring James Harden back, he would let bygones be bygones. But I certainly think there's a world where this is a team that will offer him more years and or more money than most other teams. I don't know if that's all other teams, but certainly most. And, you know, it's, I just don't think James Harden's at a point, and he certainly wasn't in June when he made this decision, to accept that. I think in James Harden's mind, anything that wasn't a max offer was a slap in the face. And I think he was convinced himself that there were teams, maybe maybe just a team, but teams, that would have given him that contract, so he has to get there. Is there a chance after a little bit, like a summer and maybe a fall of reflection, he could come back and say, all right, well, look, they didn't give me what I want, but they'll give me something decent. I, I still don't know. Again, logically, I think Wendy's point is sound. I just don't know if everyone involved here is operating logically. Yeah, and so while we're on the ESPN reporter 
front here talking about Harden and Embiid and all these guys. Ramona Shelburne was on NBA Today. It was either, I believe it was yesterday, and said something to the effect of, so here's the direct quote, the Clippers know what they need to do to get James Harden. It's just a question of whether they want to go all the way there. Goes on to say, from Philly's point of view, I think they're fine. James Harden is in camp. James Harden is participating. And the Clippers are really bidding against the Sixers' willingness to take any kind of compromise. And that, to me, is a good summary of where we're at, right? I think we can all agree the Clippers are interested, but the Clippers don't want to pay up. The Sixers are willing to talk trade with James Harden, knowing where he stands with Daryl Morey and everything else. But Daryl, up to this point, has said, I am not trading him for what you guys are willing to offer. One first-round pick and pick swaps is not going to get it done. And so the big contention now seems to be, can the Clippers flip what they already have into something that's more appetizing for Philly? It sounds like to me from what you hear passed around the league that either they want to turn that 2028 first into multiple things, or they want to take the pick swaps that they might be able to offer teams and turn that into actual tangible draft assets or something else. But they do not want to give up 28 and 30 together, which I get because as we discussed last week, Derek, I do think there's probably some real theoretical value in those picks down the road if the bottom falls out for the Clippers. Yeah. And sort of going back to Wendy's point at the beginning, you know, you and I were out in Colorado last week. We certainly had some conversations, people from both sides of this standoff. I don't get the sense that there is a lot of appetite right now for, from James Harden's perspective to want to come back and be a part of this team long-term. I agree. Now, on the one hand, Wendy has other people he talks to. On the other hand, he didn't really present it as that being the, their place or their stance right now. He, he speculated basically whether or not that could develop into that down the road. Again, I'm still skeptical. Logically, I think it makes sense in terms of practicality and the emotional aspect of this. I would be surprised... But when you put enough time and distance, emotions can change and maybe the logic of it will take over. I don't know. I'd be, again, I'd be surprised, but I'm not completely dismissing it at hand. Yeah, and I keep coming back to it's hard to escape the fact that there are no real issues between James and the rest of the team. Yeah. I think it might be more... Well, there might be one player on the team. Sure, yeah. The, the Kelly Oubre yeah. off-the-court stuff, yes. But I'd say broadly... James is cool with the guys on the roster. I mean, you see him working whenever we're in there for the very limited time we see these guys. We see him spending a lot of time with guys like Rico Hines and you know going through post-practice stuff. Clearly, he doesn't have an issue with the staff that they hired. For, by all accounts, we've been told that you know him and Nick Nurse had productive dialogue throughout the offseason that you know, in a different off season where they just gave him all sure. the money in the world, I think yep. he would have been excited to come back and play for Nurse and the staff that he's assembled. Likes Joel Embiid, was happy to help him win an MVP, blah, 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 blah. We go on and on and on and on down the list. And that's all the stuff that you, if you're trying to be an optimist and say, hey, I think Harden is going to be convinced to come back. That's what it's going to come down to. It's just that there's so many other people and so many other things yep. that are positive or at the worst neutral factors with this organization that can override whatever the the bad vibes are between him and Maury, him and Kelly Oubre, and whoever else in the organization he might have an issue with. Yeah. And again, I think going back to one of our previous shows earlier, was it yesterday where we talked about the Clippers? Uh, and they're, they're interested. We talk about the Clippers basically no, like, every day. <laughs> yeah. But I think one of the reports, uh, this was that from Woj? Uh, no, the, from the, when we were talking about Sam Amick's report. Yeah, end of last week. Yeah, I think one of my big takeaways is that the Clippers' interest is genuine. And I just think that even if there's a chance this fence could be mended, it feels like if their interest is strong enough, then there's a chance this gets resolved before we even have a chance to like see that play out. Yeah. And again, it might not happen in the time frame we want just because there's not another team that seems to be pursuing him heavily. And that's a, a, a real, um, you know, sticking point, but it does seem like their interest is genuine. So, yeah, 
And, and now we also know kind of what the offers look like or previous offers look like. And if new things pop up, obviously we are going to spend a whole hell of a lot of time we talking talk about James five Harden. hours a week. We'll bring it up. <laughs> All right. Uh, before we get to the last second, and again, drop any chats. If you're you know, listening live, drop any questions you have in the chat. We'll try to get to some of them. If you're not listening live, considering listening live so you can interact with us during the course of the show. For that, a quick word from FOCO. FOCO is a leading manufacturer of sports and entertainment merchandise with a product line that includes apparel, accessories, toys, collectibles, novelty items, and more. And again, if you're watching live, you can see some of those in the background, as Kyle very helpfully points out. <laughs> it is the best officially licensed gear for all sports and fandoms. And with it now in football and tailgating season, it means overalls, hoodies, hats, sunglasses, bags, everything you need for a game. FOCO has hooked PHLY up and provided awesome pieces for our sets. FOCO always has our back for Philly sports, and they have yours too. Get the best gear around by using the link in our description. For all non-presale items, use a promo code PHLY for 10% off. All right, so I think we set aside some questions for the end of the show. Yeah, yeah. If, I don't know if Andrew was going through I think favoriting different things. We have yeah. JP um, saying that or I think Harden has been caught unprepared for the real fact that his stubbornness and awkwardness over the years has narrowed his market right down. Uh, I think that's largely true. I don't think he was prepared for the fact that he's not a max player anymore. Uh, and I think a lot of this has been a reaction to it. And also a little bit of, you know, it is his longtime partner that is trying to strong arm and negotiate against him. I, I also, right. I think part of this is I, I can't blame him in this respect. The last several times he's done this now, he's been rewarded, or last couple times yeah. he's done this, I should say, he was basically immediately rewarded with exactly what he wanted. Yep. He went where he wanted, when he wanted, and with the guys he wanted to be there with. And when that continues to be the case, and look, he might not be Houston James Harden, but he still put up great numbers last year. I thought could have been an all-star and you know maybe like a fringe all NBA guy, depending on how that shook out, helped Joel Embiid win an MVP, showed a bunch of different stuff. So in his head, he's like, okay. And I think he's gone over the top with the the sacrifice angle. We talked about that, you know, during the playoffs last year when he really played that stuff up. But I can see why in his head he believes, all right, I deserve to be compensated for all that, for allowing you to make these roster moves, blah, 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 blah. And He's finding out the hard way that when you try to burn another bridge with another team yep. and there are only so many teams with cap space. And by the way, there are all these, there's all this downward pressure on teams financially now because of the new CBA. There are not a lot of people that are going to stick their neck out for you. Yeah. They're going to they'll sign you on their terms. Like, look, I'm not saying if James Harden was cut tomorrow, basically every team in the league would at least kick the tires on sure. it. Right. But it's the difference between, hey, we'll bring you in, James, on our terms, and, hey, we'll allow you to be James Harden, capital J, capital H, the way I think he wants to be. Would there be many spellings of his name where it's lowercase? <laughs> I'm just saying. It's no, like, I, get, it's, I get what you're saying. No, to your point, like when you are a an offense unto yourself and one of the top players in the league and an MVP candidate every year, you can be a pain in the ass and still get what you want. Yeah. When you are a top 30 player and a borderline all-star, you kind of have to fit in with everything else that's going on. And if you're Kelly Oubre, you definitely have to fit in and not try to stand out. Just a piece of advice. Well, so to this point, I but feel like... I also think James Harden feels like he can still be an offense unto himself. Yes. Which but I don't think he can. I don't... You don't strike me as a guy who would listen to the All the Smoke podcast, yeah? No. with With Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson. Mm. Not uh, a guy. I mean, I've seen clips. You've seen clips. I enjoy it, sure. I thought it was really revealing last week... Or it's within the last week, week and a half, that Matt, Steven, KG, Tony Allen, yep. and I believe one other guy sat around like a bunch of former players who I would say generally former players being part of the NBA fraternity, circle the wagons, especially around high level players, right? Like they they see their side versus management. And so for those guys to sit there and essentially say, for anybody who missed it, that James only has so many, they called it wiggles. Like you can only wiggle your way out of so many situations before you run out of wiggles. 
And then Tony Allen, who Tony Allen was like the pinnacle grit and grind defense guy, like do whatever it takes to try to win, frankly, because he couldn't play offense at all, couldn't shoot. But the guy who's like, he's all about trying to win at all costs, essentially came out and said, like, I don't believe James Harden is about the right stuff, like not not cutting, not being a catch and shoot guy, not doing this, not doing that. And so I think that to me is the best testament to like where James Harden is in the public eye right now. When former players, guys who played against you, guys who respect your commitment to your craft and everything you give into the game are coming out and saying like, nah, this guy's not a winner. He's like, he's not about the right things. That is a huge indictment, much more so than like, no offense to either of us or to you since I'm the one saying it. It means a lot more coming from them than it does from people like us. Yeah. And especially someone like KG who sort of made that transition later in his career, being more of a role player, yeah. buying into a, a super team, one of the real first super teams of the modern era. Uh, yeah, I, certainly that carries a lot of weight. He, yeah. I mean, he would know. He would quite literally know. We have a question from Tafka. I was serious earlier. Will there be a fallout if Ben and Brooklyn outperform us this year? I mean, why are we getting into hypotheticals that aren't going to happen? I am about 0.1%. And I'm only saying 0.1% because you, it's the anything is possible factor. Yeah, well, but, and also they have so many assets. They could theoretically like flip sure. a lot. But that's not the team you're talking about outperforming. That's a new team. They have all the makings of a 38 and 44 team to me. It's a team that people love on paper because it's like, look at all these three and D guys. And then it's like, yeah, but they actually need to have right. real shot creation. They have to play Ben Simmons and Nick Claxton together, which yep. that's going to be a disaster. With those two on the floor last night, by the way, remember, I watched. Remember the Ben Simmons and uh, Dwight Howard lineups? Ugh. Well, I watched speaking, some of speaking Lakers. Speaking of the and Nurse upgrade. I watched some of Lakers Nets after the Phillies game ended, or actually it was while the Phillies game was kind of still I was, on. I was inconsolable after the Phillies game ended. I didn't watch shit. I'm cold and heartless anymore, <laughs> so I just shrug it off. And Ben looks better attacking the basket, but even that just looks like the Ben we've known for his entire career. Looked terrible at the free throw line. And more importantly, they got absolutely killed by the Lakers offense. And I don't think the Lakers offense is like anything special coming into this year. Yeah. So I don't know, man. I, I don't have a lot of belief in Brooklyn as a, a general idea. I would say that. Yeah. You know, I, to your point, I do think Ben will probably look better just because I do think there was always a mental component to his struggles and a physical component. Uh, I think that back was a real issue. So hopefully, and I, I truly mean this, but hopefully he is a little better physically back to where he was. Um, because at the very least, he was a frustrating player, but he did have aspects of his game that I enjoyed watching. From an NBA perspective, I would just like to see him get closer to where he was. Other questions we got here. Uh, Ronald asks, any chance a three-way with Toronto could be done to get Gary Trent Jr. and said, notes that he is a nurse guy? Uh, I would not go as far as to say he's a nurse guy because you can go and look through the the press conference archives last year, and I think there were quite a few Nick Nurse not too happy with Gary Trent in public situations. And look, some guys respond really well to that, that need tough love, and you have to ride them a little harder than you would a different player who's got to be handled with kid gloves yeah. and all that. But uh, I don't suspect that Gary and Nick are – really fired up about a reunion. I could be wrong. I don't know them well enough yet to say one way or another, but just watching from afar, I think that's, I would call that pretty unlikely. You're welcome though. Another guy who launched seven, eight threes. Oh yeah. I mean, as many of them as if there's anything Gary Trent can do, it's take open threes or yep. take even semi open threes, which is a skill that Derek and I've talked about a lot. They just need more and more of. For sure. For sure. Uh, let's see. What else do we have here? Love some silence in the middle of a it's podcast. Always what you that's tune what we're in here for. for. Yeah, well, that's for sure. you're struggling to read over there. You need me to I'm not struggling to read. I'm trying to find a good question. <laughs> okay. Brian asks if Kelly Oubre averages 20 plus points and provides decent defense off the bench, 
Will you wear an Ubre jersey on stream? If yes. Kelly, no, no. If Kelly Ubre averages twenty points per game, I will will rip Nick Nurse for giving him enough minutes and enough <laughs> shot opportunities to where twenty. But what points if he's per also game? playing decent defense and he's an impactful NBA player? Boy, that sounds like a realistic scenario. Yeah, sure. To me. And James Harden's going to turn back the clock and average thirty-five when they're winning a title. Yeah. Come on. Uh, let's see. We definitely have some James. Hardened defenders in the comments today, yeah. which I, I can understand it. And look, I think Derek and I are, I wouldn't even say ambivalent. I would say for the Sixers specifically, we're probably more pro hardened than not. Is that fair? Certainly more pro hardened than so. Look, I think we both thought he had a really good year last year. Yeah. Uh, I think we both have aspects of his game that we appreciate, aspects which drive us insane. But I don't just don't think any of us believe that he is going to be here long term. And we just don't know what to expect from him. And to be clear, like even if you're a James Harden fan, don't act like you have any idea what to expect, both you know in terms of his play or his his willingness to be around, because the people around him have no idea what to expect about how the next couple of weeks will unfold. Like there's just so much uncertainty in everything that I'm, you know, we can't sit here and pretend to know what's going to happen. Nobody knows. Like again, we mentioned this the other day. You very rarely see everyone in agreement, but everyone in his agreement, they have no idea what's going to happen next. I, and I'm in agreement with them yes. as well, having talked to a lot of these people. Okay, uh, Chris asks, what exactly is the offer Ramona is saying we'll get it done? It's probably two first and man. Yeah. I feel like that's... I think the- two first round picks and Terrence Mann and a deal with the Clippers is, I'd say the baseline the Sixers are willing to... Except at this point. And, and that doesn't mean that, that that's eventually what's going to happen. But if yeah. they're going to trade him early before he's really made a stink and before he gets a trade deadline, it would have to be like a really good offer from Daryl's perspective. Yeah. Daryl wants to be overwhelmed by whatever they're getting back. And I don't even know if I would say that's overwhelmed no, depending on what those picks you are. You at least then have flexibility. You can offer three picks in a trade. You can offer man in a trade. Like you have... Things you could package to get another very good player at the deadline. Yeah, they could turn into anything. They could even turn into a player like James Harden. Yeah. Look, <laughs> hey, you you have cap space next summer. Maybe you can get Tobias Harris and James Harden. Oh God. Well, that's a we're gonna have to we're gonna do many Tobias podcasts this year. I would imagine he's gonna pop up in tons of rumors. Uh, Elaine also has one with Niang gone. Are y'all worried about shooting and spacing? I always worry about shooting and spacing. A hundred percent. And Derek and I. One of our first few shows we did, we talked about which role players they're going to miss the most. And George ranked at the top despite the fact that we have our concerns would be a light way of putting it for the playoffs. I think George Niang is a really, really good 82-game player and a guy who swung, I would go as far as to say like at least five games last year with different shooting runs that he went on and it's not to say that he's someone you should rely on in the most important games of the year, but you have to actually get to those games and build a good record in the regular season to get home court. And so you're not playing game seven in Boston and getting absolutely slaughtered. So, yeah, I think they're going to miss Niang a decent amount. And I do think that's part of why there are a lot of people who are saying that the Cavs are maybe the third best team in the East this year. Yep. Nope, I agree. Very uh, Anyone who can shoot and shoot under pressure and shoot quickly that will terrify teams from leaving him, it just helps so much. And it helps really every archetype of player. Like a post-up center, a face-up center for that matter, you know, a drive-and-kick guy, anyone spacing helps. It's really one of the things that you look back at how the game used to be played. Like go back and watch Allen Iverson. How did nobody think like, hey, that guy who's like pinballing off defenders in the paint, maybe if those defenders weren't there, he'd be more effective. Well, think about, I mean, a a hypothetical I always consider is, you know, what if Tony Kukoc had stuck around longer and is not part of that rat lift for Matumbo trade? Unfortunately, Larry hated him. Yeah, he He did not not like him. And look, it was a different NBA then. He wanted to build this defense first team. But Kukoc as like a secondary creator, floor spacer, versatile offensive guy with somebody Iverson could have used for quite a long time. I know that wasn't, you know. No, I mean, everyone always says, like, that team was perfectly built around Allen Iverson because it had four guys who didn't care if they touched the ball but were willing to defend. I agree with the defending part. I even agree with not caring if they touched the ball. 
but I wish a few of them could do anything with it if they did. Uh, Kukoc was a little bit ahead of his time in terms of playing style. That was there. still an era where, you know, big men from overseas that had skill were stigmatized. Uh, it's a little bit of a shame that they didn't give him more of a chance and that they didn't. I mean, look, Ratliff wasn't the same. What are we doing? It's We're talking about a team from 22 years ago at the end of the podcast. I think that probably means we're at a place where we can cut this one off. Yeah, I think it's probably a good place to stop. So Derek will be at either this desk or in our other studio tomorrow for pre and post with, I believe, our friend Rich Hoffman yep. will be in. Yep. I will be down at the arena. I'll be one of 17 people at a Sixers preseason game rather than watching our beloved Philadelphia Phillies at Citizens Bank Park. And again, make sure to go to all PHLY. Uh, check out the tailgate. Uh, again, I will try to stop by in the second half of that. Catch up, talk some Phils, talk some basketball. Good time. Yeah. So on your way out, guys, if you could just hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up on this video, and then... We will be back with you tomorrow night. I'll be dialing in from remote, and then we'll have a couple more shows at the end of the week. Thank you guys, as always. I mean, I always bring up your names at the end. Brian, Khalil, Jay, Deal, Ronald, Eugene, Chris, Randy. We have so many people that are just like regular listeners here, and we love that. So thank you guys so much, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. 